Hello, this is Sue Lloyd, Vice Chair of the ISSB, and I'm joined by our Chair, Emmanuel Faber, recording this podcast following our first board week meeting in 2023 here in our Frankfurt office. So this was a really busy um, week for us. We started with a, with a big board meeting for the first um, month of the year with 10 papers, um, advancing our re-deliberations on our first two standards. Um, and a lot of what we're looking at this week was um, guidance to help companies to really uh, make a proportional and scalable approach to applying the standards, um, especially when they first start out. But before we get into uh, the board decisions this week, maybe Emmanuel, um, perhaps we start out by looking sort of big picture, some of the priorities and milestones that we're working towards at the moment. Yep. Thank you, Sargo. Thank you, Sue. And uh, indeed, that was uh, a great week uh, this week in, in Frankfurt. Happy New Year to all of uh, you who are listening to us. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, um, exciting uh, year ahead. Um, and I know uh, a lot of stakeholders are keen to know when uh, the standards will be issued. And I'm pleased to report that we're progressing well with the development of S1 and S2, and we are on track to publish towards uh, the end of Q2 uh, this year. We hope to finalize our re-deliberations of the feedback we receive next month in Montreal before moving to the formal balloting of the standards and we'll share more uh, insights into what that process involves in next month's uh, podcast so stay tuned. We are also prioritizing uh, work to strengthen and enhance the use of the standards and that includes a number of topics uh, that we've already alluded to, uh, working with partners globally to facilitate capacity building for the adoption of the standards by markets and their application by companies. Uh, we will also consult on a proposed digital taxonomy to enable digital reporting of sustainability disclosures from day one. Uh, we have started uh, our work on the internationalization of the SASB standards, which companies applying S1 must consider. Uh, we are building connectivity with the IASB, and I'm sure Sue will elaborate more on this about our work this week, to ensure the standards are compatible and avoid inconsistencies. And we are facilitating in interoperability with jurisdictional initiatives and GRI standards to deliver the building block approach of our global baseline. And finally, and I think very importantly, um, we uh, are starting to connect climate and nature and are starting research uh, incremental enhancements to the climate standards around just transition, nature and water and ecosystems, natural ecosystems, to bring essentially more uh, pixels to the use of our climate standards uh, for companies and jurisdictions um, in, uh, as, as soon as practicable, basically. Um, another big part of uh, the agenda this year and the first half of this year actually will be preparing our agenda consultation. We will consult our next priorities focusing on four projects, biodiversity, human capital, human rights and connectivity and the latter being a project to work with our sister board, the IASB, to build on management commentary and the integrated reporting framework. These are all projects where we've had feedback from investors and other market participants as important, and I think it's important indeed that we deliver on those. And so uh, an exciting, uh, exciting year ahead, but back to this week's you. Uh, do you want to share some of the highlights? 
Sure. So firstly, um, a really busy agenda, as I said, 10 papers um, with some really good analysis and um, re-deliberations based on the, um, you know, all the wonderful comments we got and the 1,400 comment letters that we received. And probably a good moment to have a shout out for our staff um, who worked very early in the new year in order to enable us to have such a, a big agenda um, in January, so early in January. So thank you to you if you're listening. Um, so what do we talk about? So um, going through day one, first of all, we had a paper on um, some of the disclosures in S2. In particular, we were looking at an issue that we had started discussing earlier on, which is when we asked for companies to provide information about comparisons to their climate targets and the latest international agreement, what did we mean? Um, and so we put some more clarity on the fact that we wanted to understand how those the latest international agreement, Paris at the moment, had informed their climate-related targets. And also, importantly, in that discussion, we did explain how that could um, mean that a company would provide information about how uh, nationally determined contributions had informed their, their considerations. So that was a, a good, important uh, discussion. The next thing we talked about was very much a clarification um, about the um, requirement or the objective in S1 and S2 about providing information about metrics. And what we were doing here was adding clarity. And we have a bit of a difference between the metrics objective and other parts of the standard. If you look, say, at governance, we ask a company just to explain what their governance processes actually are. But when we get to our metrics and targets, we are asking for particular disclosures and that's not limited by what a company's actually using when they manage their business. Those disclosures are required when they're material to a company's investors, so there's an important distinction that we wanted to make there. Moving on, um, we had a discussion on disclosures about the important uh, judgments, assumptions and estimates that a company has made when it puts together its um, sustainability reporting and confirmed a package of disclosures around that to really help inform investors um, and assurers and others about the basis of preparation uh, for the um, sustainability reporting. And in that, we agreed that the standard should include some guidance which sets out the complete sort of list, if you like, of the types of disclosures that would be anticipated and that would look at a future date for some um, sort of more real examples of what the particular disclosures might look like um, for different uh, fact patterns. Moving on to another important conversation, and uh, this one I found particularly satisfying as a former vice chair of the International Accounting Standards Board, because this really shows the power of having a sister body, because we took the opportunity to look across to the IFRS accounting standards for some concepts that we could use um, repurposed in their, uh, in their new context. And a really important uh, one that we uh, discussed this week was the use of the notion of uh, uh, companies using reasonable and supportable information that's available without undue cost and effort at the reporting date to inform their um, disclosures that they'd be required to provide. And it's a good paper to look at for those of you who, who are really interested in the detail because the staff, I think, had a very thoughtful approach of finding particular circumstances where there's a high level of measurement certainty and identifying particular places where that concept should be used. So, for example, in identifying what's in your value chain um, or um, in some measurement circumstances using that concept. So a really great way, I think, of aligning our work and that of the IFRS um, Accounting Standards Board. 
And then we had an important discussion on something that came up in quite a few comment letters, um, a concern that some raised about whether or not through being required to provide information about their sustainability-related risks and opportunities, they may need to give away things that gave them a competitive advantage. Now, this is a really tricky area for standard setters. We're all about transparency. We're all about making sure that investors have all of the material information they need uh, to inform their decision-making. So asking us to particularly you know, exclude that information in some circumstances is a big decision for the board to make. So it was a very careful a discussion and I think a very carefully crafted paper by the staff but where we landed on was that there would be circumstances where in providing information about um, sustainability related opportunities where that information wasn't already publicly available and where there could be a real significant risk of um, commercial damage if you like to a company in providing that information that we would allow some relief from disclosure. So very particular wording. Again, if you're interested in that, look at the exact wording, but really trying to get that balance right between appropriate relief for companies, but not creating disadvantages for investors in terms of limiting the information they have available for their decision making. So I think a really good paper from the staff and a really interesting discussion with the board, which I certainly think landed us in a good place. Emmanuel, do you want to talk about day three? Thank you, Sue. Day three was really today and predominantly uh, about our climate standards. Um, we started from a, a, a basis of a cleaning exercise because there are some reliefs that we've already agreed uh, for the scope three emissions related to data from the value chain, uh, where there is a difference in the reporting period with companies in the value chain. So we extended that notion to also scope one and two emissions. Uh, to make it uh, uh, consistent overall. Um, we next went into uh, what I think is one of my favorite discussions, which is climate scenario analysis. And um, I think we really had a very solid, solid paper uh, prepared by the staff uh, to allow us to discuss uh, the criteria a company would apply to determine the approach to scenario analysis to assess climate resilience um, as we look to help uh, companies scale their approach and advance gradually to more sophisticated approaches uh, over time, given different ranges of skills, capabilities and resources. Um, I think we very usefully referenced the TCFD uh, guidance on uh, using scenario analysis, among others, uh, and landed into a place where um, I think uh, we are really uh, supporting um, uh, companies in the preparation of an appropriate and I'd say commensurate to circ their circumstances as the paper highlights uh, that journey of uh, using scenario analysis to create their resilience um, assessment. Uh, and finally uh, and, and probably very importantly um, we re-deliberated uh, on current and anticipated financial effects around sustainability topics not only climate um, uh, that, that is driving the connectivity and that's really about creating a holistic package of information for investors and one that is consistent between financial statements and sustainability disclosure. So we discussed um, uh, disclosure around how sustainability related risks or opportunities have affected or are expected to affect financial statements and the quantitative and qualitative information that should uh, uh, complement each other 
uh, in a manner that um, would describe these effects. And when a company can stick to qualitative information, if it explains why quantitative information cannot be shared. So I think that uh, sums up um, our key discussion for this week meeting. And uh, as we are moving to uh, uh, st from standard setting uh, most of last year, basically, to now uh, for S1 and S2, the rollout and the adoption issue, I know many um, questions are raised about what that really means. Would you share a bit of your um, insight into this, please? Sure. So it all starts with our objective, of course, and our objective is to deliver this global baseline of um, sustainability disclosures to, to meet the needs of the capital markets. And that means delivering a common language that can be used around the world to provide uh, comparable information for investors um, that's high quality um, and that gets the balance right between meeting investors' needs, but in a way that's targeted and, and efficient for companies as well. Um, and so it really starts with having good standards to support that disclosure. And so that's what we've been working hard on. But that, of course, is not enough. So what else are we doing? So firstly, we're working really hard with the international securities regulators, with IOSCO. Uh, that's a, a conversation that has started way back with the Technical Readiness Working Group, but it's ongoing. And our objective there is to um, have IOSCO endorse S1 and S2, really saying, yes, these are fit for purpose and good for global capital markets. And that doesn't mean that, you know, then jurisdictions immediately uh, use those standards, but that um, comfort that comes from that IOSCO endorsement is really a way of giving um, confidence and is a great catalyst for the assistance of securities regulators around the world and the adoption and then the application of those standards around the world. So that endorsement discussion is really um, an important one. What else are we doing? We're talking uh, with jurisdictions. So the jurisdictional engagement that we do is critically important because the parties that we're talking with there, in particular securities regulators and others, are helping us build a global baseline. And then they're very much involved in adoption conversations in their home jurisdictions or interoperability conversations. And the heart of what we're doing there is with our jurisdictional working group that we've talked about in these podcasts before um, that's comprised of the UK, the US, um, Japan, China, Europe, um, and us, and IOSCO. Um, and now we have announced the membership of our Sustainability Standards Advisory Forum, which is an even larger um, group of um, parties from around the world. And that's just to make sure we have you know, information and a good relationship with those parties, as well as bilateral discussions with many of those partners. The other thing we're seeing around the world is the establishment of new boards focused on sustainability reporting, sort of doing what the IFRS Foundation has done, but at a, at a national level. So we know that Brazil, Canada, Australia, Japan, South Korea are all putting in place boards and governance arrangements that are really designed to cooperate with the work of the ISSB in a way that's similar to what people familiar with the accounting standards will have seen with national standard setters from around the world. So it's setting up the framework for adoption and ongoing conversations around the world on sustainability reporting in partnership with us. Now we know that um, many jurisdictions will require companies to adopt our standards and that's fantastic, but we're also really interested in voluntary application of our standards. So the fact that investors and companies want our standards to be used around the world is really important to us too. So market engagement that really facilitates the choice to use, uh, the free choice to use the ISSB standards around the world is really important and we are busy establishing our market engagement um, strategy and working really closely with investors uh, to get the support for our standards. 
And I guess the last piece of the jigsaw puzzle is that we know that in some jurisdictions there will be specific jurisdictional requirements. Everybody knows about the work that's going on in Europe, but not only Europe, the US is also talking about their climate rules. And so we are working closely with jurisdictions very much to focus on how we ensure interoperability with jurisdictional initiatives. Again, we're interested in the efficiency for companies and the clarity of information for investors. And the more that there's a clear linkage and relationship and as much consistency as possible between what we require and what jurisdictions require, the more cost effective the reporting can be for companies and the better um, the clarity of information for investors. So we're working hard on interoperability as well. So in short, Emmanuel, we're busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet we are. And, uh, and I couldn't, uh, I couldn't uh, you know, agree more with what you just uh, said about the importance of uh, voluntary adoption. I think that is, um, you know, these two uh, change uh, theories basically will nourish uh, each other because voluntary adoption will, of course, lower uh, the cost for uh, regulators to go into mandatory adoption. And of course, mandatory adoption is obviously creating a, a level playing field and will probably drive further voluntary adoptions in other, uh, other jurisdictions. So um, that, that is a, a totally new uh, space in which we are entering as a standard setter. This dual approach of voluntary and mandatory adoption has never been tried before, um, and we're happy to do this at the global level with all the parties that you've indeed uh, been mentioning, uh, with whom uh, cooperation um, is, is absolutely fundamental. I mean, it's a collective effort uh, for um, the, 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 the public interest of, uh, of capital markets, uh, good functioning here. Um, so yeah, busy and important uh, first half of the year. Um, that is all from us uh, from Frankfurt. Uh, thank you, Sue. Next month, we will be in Montreal, where we expect to finalize our deliberation on the standards. And we will uh, also be hosting the IFRS Sustainability Symposium on Friday, uh, February the 17th. And we are very excited to uh, hopefully see a number of you uh, there with uh, you know, uh, I think probably a, a brilliant way for our stakeholders to get up to date with our latest development. So hope to see you there. Thank you. For the latest developments from either the International Sustainability Standards Board or the International Accounting Standards Board, make sure to subscribe on the IFRS Foundation website, www.ifrs.org. If you enjoyed this podcast, please take some time to rate, review and subscribe on your preferred podcast player.